0: Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo, and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products, as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love Podcast. Well, welcome, lovers of product. Today, I'm here with Consuelo Caleros, who's the VP of product from OutSystems. GG, you want to kick this <laughs> off by giving us a little overview of your background?
1: Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Eric, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi, everybody in the community. Uh, true pleasure. Absolutely. I'll uh, I'll do a brief intro. So, I'm Gonzalo. I've been with this company, with OutSystems, for 15 years, and I have a, a very generalist background. I can't unfortunately say I'm a a product expert of many many years. I do have a generalist background in the range. I've done things I've started in software development and done did a little bit of everything from uh, marketing to pre-sales, whatever was needed actually for to get the company to go to the next level, sort of eternally learning and stumbled my way into product uh, a few years ago, different kinds of products. And I now run the product management team at Out Systems, having run the community team and the digital team before that and uh, passionate about what we're doing at the company passionate about sort of the trends that the company embodies in the world but above all i think of myself as a as a generalist that loves to learn new things and now learning all product related things so again happy to be here
0: now are you always going to be a product person from now on have you found your passion
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, i i can tell you you know i am always super excited about starting something new I, there's always this moment where I say, this is it, I'm going to go do this now for the rest of my life. Life has a way of saying, hey, here's this new thing on the side that we either need you to do or that it's super interesting. But I can tell you, I would definitely not mind being the product person for the rest of my career because it's it's really a super interesting, especially in, in the kind of work we do in software. It's a super interesting intersection between all other disciplines. And it really can command major influence over the outcomes of the company and the impact you have on your customers. So, you know, if uh, nothing else changes, I would be glad with to pursue this for, for the next few years for sure.
0: Now, Gonzalo, you you mentioned you happened into product a little bit. Talk to me about <laughs> how that happened. Uh, that's it. so.
1: I, I would say it started a few years ago as we were we were doing this exercise of you know, where are we with the company, much smaller company at the time. And we wanted to do, I think the first thing I would call, apart from my experience in engineering, which we had a connection with product, the first thing I would actually consider a product-related job was around the work we did in creating the digital portions of the interactions of our systems and its customers. And the reason I call this a product is because we we started we stumbled upon the the major trend that we see right now of moving from a project based mindset to people wanting to build true products and granted you know most of these products were some of them were internal products but a lot of them were external products serving our customers and we we just felt the need to create sort of a, a more disciplined approach into how we thought about those products, how they serve the customer, how we transition from a very sort of reactive project mode into more of products, um, more what, what I think now would be a truly basic bare bones product management philosophy. So that was the first foray that I had into product management. And you know, I would look around and I'd say, this is interesting, you know, there's there's a lot here. I didn't get too much into the detail of how things happen, what were the mental models of a good product manager? That only happened about uh, two years ago or uh, a year and a half ago, where I was uh, very typical in scale ups and very fast growing companies, you know people that work together for a long time. I have a really good relationship with our CEO, Paulo Rosado, the founder of the company, and we were uh, we were on this management team offsite. Uh, and I, I don 't think I've ever told this story outside of Outsystems but it's it 's a fun story to share. We were at this management team outside I was overseeing community back at the day. And uh, we went into this conversation and Paulo asked me, hey, you know, started talking about the vision you have for the company and the product and, you know, sort of selling me on the thing. And I'm like, hey, man, I've worked here for 10 plus years. Why are you reselling me on this? Well, because I want you to go into product management. I, I think you, you know, that, that this is the next step. We need help there. And that's how it happened. It, it was essentially a challenge. I was a little shocked because Truly, we are a product company and product management, add-out systems, core product, core platform, the thing we do, the local platform is a big deal. And I was taken aback at first, but then started slowly going into it. And a lot of it I found is uh, well, there are certainly leadership skills that are transferable from any place else, but there are, a lot of it is uh, true common sense, customer orientation. And first principle thinking i think that's what i see as like the base foundation work for a good product manager and then there are things you can learn and i try to learn as fast as possible read books meet people like you come on these things so that you can soak in on the experience but all this starts from that foundation so that's how i sort of stumbled or happened into product management and uh, you know come a long way from that moment and learned a lot about the ins and outs the things that really truly make a, a very strong product manager which I, I still think I'm not personally as an individual contributor, but I've been able to build a really, really strong team of good product managers. And uh, that's my story. I mean, it's uh, I realize now it's not a very conventional way of coming into product management, but it's uh, it's my journey.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, that was great. Uh, and, and thanks for that story. Uh, tell us, you know, let's step back a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about, you know out systems you've been there for 15 years you know obviously you've moved through a number of different roles like you just discussed but tell us more about the company out system what problems you're solving there what teams you currently oversee sure sure, sure. so out systems is a company whose mission
1: is we we strongly believe that current and future world the way companies are going to innovate is through mm-hmm. custom software is through building the things that are completely unique to themselves it's not by you know, everybody's going digital, and we're talking about digital transformation all the time. But that's really not something that I think is going to make, that we think is going to make a, a significant difference in how companies innovate or differentiate themselves in the market in their customers. And 20 years ago, when the company was founded, the founders realized, they had this insight of, hey, custom software is super hard. And, you know, it hasn't become easier. It's There's lack of talent, technology is super hard, you know, it's... We need 10 more million developers. Where are we going to find all those people? Technology, again, is getting harder. The processes of building software, not just the product management side, even the engineering side, getting harder and harder. So they came up with a completely different way of producing software. It's a visual environment, automates a lot of things, really raises the abstraction, focuses on productivity, focuses on the outcome of what you're trying to do. And you know, we went for 10 years. It was it's a super interesting story, more than 10 years. We were selling this vision, selling the product, selling this vision, and the demand was sort of not there. It was early to the market. I guess we were lucky because of the founding team, the resilience, the grit, and also sort of a a very uh, disciplined approach into building the company. And then five to six years ago, it started to come into this mainstream. This concept was created of low-code. Low-code, the idea that you don't have to write massive amounts of, you don't have to do the boring parts of building software to be able to build custom software in Timeframes that are compatible with customizing SaaS, but building really truly truly things that matter. So that's what we do. We we help companies innovate through custom software by giving them a visual platform that they can use to develop any kinds of software that matters for companies. Really, truly, more and more so, mission critical stuff. By helping more people participate in the cycle of creation of software and simplifying and automating a lot of the processes that are just boring, and and that I think plays into this massive trend of you know what's what's been called digital transformation, but obviously all things digital, zero percent analog. This massive trend of more and more people wanting to participate and being a part of the, the the art of digital creation and software creation. So
0: that's a little bit of the company. And it's that plays into smart, this whole no-code movement too, right? Because I assume that visual means a lot less code. I don't know if it's entirely codeless. A lot codeless. less code. Yeah.
1: It's not entirely codeless. I mean, in our case, we, you know, our approach was that we allowed extensibility through code. But a typical out-systems project, you'll do 90% of things with no-code, which is a very strong, very expressive, powerful IDE, a visual environment. But it does play. I, I mean, we think of the no-code uh, movement as an extension. Parts of our product are actually no code. Other parts we would consider low code. The distinction is sometimes you know, uh, gray at best. But yeah, this no code movement is again this idea of how do we empower more people to participate? How do we uh, collect and create productivity between developers, testers, product managers? How, how do we get all those teams streamlined and super productive? And how do we continue to increase the productivity and the abstraction of these things so that people don't have to go do the boring stuff? It's it's incredible to see. I mean, you, you've probably seen it all around. It's incredible to see what people come up with these days with tools or platforms such as ours. And it's really freeing up. I, I compare it to the moment probably where writing started the typography. We, we, we went from monks being the ones that controlled language to all of a sudden being something that is available to the entirety of mankind. Then I think we're on the brink of, a, of such a, a moment. But yeah, so that I oversee product management. So our, all of our core platform and extension, I oversee product operations, everything related to, uh, you know, customer insight, prioritization roadmap, field support as well. And the team we call product insights, which is how do we use data and research to be able to better make product decisions and uh, strategy. So essentially that.
0: Sounds awesome. You know, so tell me a little bit more about, I'm I'm enthralled kind of, (laughs) you know, I work at a company, Pendo, and we have, you know, from the beginning, been an enabler for product managers, right? A platform for PMs with this idea that we can help them get data and provide guidance without having to go back to engineering for code. So I've always been enthralled or interested, passionate about this whole low code, no code idea, right? And in particular now, I'm interested with what you're seeing, right? When you're building these custom applications now, how does the users of your application have changed? Are you seeing like actual product managers now become at your customers becoming more of, you know, quote unquote builders, or are you still seeing it mostly driven by the engineering teams? How has that dynamic changed without systems or has it?
1: That's a great question. I think, What we've seen is in the beginning, the way we've structured the product was super powerful, super expressive, but at the expense of you still needing to have a certain level of understanding of computer science or how applications are built so that you could come in. But the moment you come in, your productivity would skyrocket and you would be fantastic, right? So that that's good and bad. It means we we had a, a strong base of professional developers that would adopt the product. Some wouldn't like it because they would you know really like the coding. So that that was the core base. You know, 60% of our community comes from either .NET or Java sort of backgrounds. As we progress, we're seeing two things happening. One is a lot of people want to come into digital creation. They want to be makers, right? And that they want to be makers full-time. So that's one path is if you want to be a full-time maker, what we offer and what we've seen is we have courses and on online training and great accelerators so that these makers can really switch careers and become full-time, quote-unquote, developers. They are developers. Let's Let's call it like that, right? And we see people coming from continue to come from CS. We see people come from STEM degrees. We see bachelors of arts coming in. We see product managers that say, hey, I want to build this thing and I'm going to use this as a, a fast prototyping tool. Then they fall in love and they understand, look, this is not a prototyping tool. I can actually build the entire solution here. You know, Do we do an innovation team? So it's all sorts of different personas coming into this. But the key point is We are enabling people to actually have a better life because they're switching careers to something that they think is more interesting and it's now accessible to them without having to pay for a five-year degree in computer science. So very interesting movement there. The other thing we've started doing and we started experimenting with this last year is for some use cases, like for example, if you're configuring a workflow or if you're doing a prototype of a mobile application, we're actually uh, creating these extensions of the product. We call them builders. And builders are fit for purpose, highly optimized tools that are designed to solve specific workflows like, you know, I want to prototype a mobile application. So we've built, it's not a full-blown horizontal IDE. It's a web version specifically for the interaction of a designer, a business user, and maybe a developer. And they get on a, call, a Zoom call, they're, you know, one hour there, prototyping the app should work like this. And then the output of that is actually a fully formed application that the developer can take and run in a single unified platform. So I would say we're bringing more and more of these participants into the system, not necessarily converting them into full-time developers, but some of them don't want to. They just want to solve a problem and they want to be an active participant of that problem and we want to optimize for that workflow. Others really want to change careers and we're very, very good at helping people sort of learn this craft and be productive in building applications that matter. It's an interesting sort of shift, yeah.
0: So I, I mean, I would I be correct in saying that you know while while you would empower you know obviously engineers that are experienced and well versed in their craft, you'd also lower the bar as far as the the amount of technical expertise and experience that would be necessary for a person in general to bring a product to market. Would that be accurate?
1: Correct. That is one way. The way you know the way we think about it, uh, or one way of to think about it is. If you're an experienced engineer, then we try very hard to give you an experience that feels like you're just, you're super Mario and we just gave you the flower, right? And it's like, all of a sudden you have superpowers, take everything away and you're super productive because your mental model is there and you know how to do it. It takes a little bit getting used to, but then, you know, I'll share a story of uh, one of our MVPs coming from .NET, very cynical at first. And he was like, I'm going to spend three weeks trying to break this thing. And after two weeks, said, I can't break this. This thing just gives me wings. I'm just going to go for it. And we, he's now one of our most valuable professionals in our community. And that's one way of looking at it. The other way to look at it is, and these people can build amazingly complex things like home banking systems uh, on a local platform, like really true mission critical Fortune 500 kind of systems built on a local platform, which no, 10 years ago it would be unthinkable, maybe even for us. So that's that's a great use case. But also... We can bring people that have an interest in becoming makers. They might know Excel. They might know Python or some other language. They play around with it. And they can build applications that matter to their departments, to their companies. And they can do that relatively quickly. Within days, they can learn sufficiently the platform so that they can truly become productive. So that's really, you know, I think we, we enable these people to be participants. And we take professional developers and we turn them into we like to think superheroes.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So one of the things we talked about is digital transformation, right? Huge topic yeah. these days. I imagine it's going to continue to be part of bigger conversations next year or the year we're now in, I guess, <laughs> since we are in January exactly. 2021. You know, that has to be a big part of the story you're telling. How do you evangelize digital transformation?
1: Well, it was already starting to happen before COVID, but now I don't think evangelizing is needed. Like if you don't think you need to digitally transform, and by that I mean to have a a central piece of your strategy that relates to how you're going to transform the experience your customers have through digital channels or completely redesign the core of your business to be digitally powered, everything that happens internally or even your employee experience, then you're you're most likely not going to be around for long. So people are evangelized. Now it's not about being evangelized to the need. It's about how do you execute? And, you know, our struggle used to be we need to get you to understand that to execute digital transformation program, which normally has many initiatives within it, you know, I want to transform my customer experience, automate my processes, modernize my legacy, all of those things, that we would be a viable alternative to uh, take a big chunk of that and help you with that. And that used to be a problem. Now, with this last year and with COVID and all of that happened, The thing that came to pass was that there was this digital urgency. It couldn't be like, you know, I'm going to do, we're going to do a three-month cycle to evaluate all these products. No, I'm going to go look for products whose primary value proposition is productivity, acceleration, and speed. And guess what? When you look into that frame, we become a formidable player there, right? And so... It's about evangelizing customers in our case that digital transformation speed matters and your productivity matters and your ability to come to market and build it we, we use a, a moniker called or we, we normally think about it, you know, build it fast, build it right, and build it for the future. So the first one is about, you know, go to market but with a high quality solution, make sure that whatever you have out there is great from user experience, security, quality, and then and understand that you're going to get it wrong the first time around and change very fast that's that's how we think about how customers approach rolling out our program so the evangelism it's essentially about is this the right category is this like low code or these types of platforms are the right category for my digital transformation program that's where we're we're focusing on right now you know we, we have a lot of help from companies coming into the space analysts just the market overall talking about it. it's a very hot space So it becomes less of a problem than I can tell. You know, five years ago, it was hard because we were really literally evangelizing door to door uh, different customers. But uh, but now it's much better.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, too, as a follow up, like how COVID has changed the product and the company. But I, I think you talked a little bit about that, at least from the market standpoint. But I imagine COVID has changed your relationship with your customers, as well as, you know, how you manage your team, too. Tell me maybe a little bit about that
1: great yeah i mean it probably touched all of us in different ways in terms of our relationship with customers i think what we've seen is again because of the value proposition that we have where we can we can quickly become in these times a strategic partner for a customer because they need to quickly go into digitizing something or dying it, right if i don't there was a period here and still very much in that place in time if you don't have a digital channel strategy you're dead on the water because people can't leave their home, right? So how do you get that past? We had a lot of customers that use our systems for, for example, internal process automation and took this opportunity to then go into a different, completely different use case. So we become sort of a strategic partner with our customers, our relationship with them. You know, we're sitting at the table with them. We're helping them. We're challenging them to go to the next level. That's been quite, quite good, to be honest. Uh, Luckily, we didn't see a lot of impact from customers of ours. Hope, you know, great news, not sort of going out of business altogether. Maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know. We haven't studied, but uh, that wasn't impactful. But I think the biggest change was that we became, from our interaction with customers, we elevated ourselves to a much more strategic play. And internally to our teams, I am very proud of how the entire thing went with our Systems. You know, we were all, a couple of things I think happened tactically for us was we We've been preparing for something like this for a while, not this size, but we had all the infrastructure in place. You know, the week the lockdown started or the week before the lockdown started, we sent everybody home. And I think we we took the opportunity to do two interesting changes or, if you will, accelerated two changes. One was to go much more into a culture where everybody that's truly remote We've always had a bunch of people remote, but really make them a key part of the team. They felt more included. That's something we want to keep for sure. And we also transitioned to a much more asynchronous written culture, which is a great way to take advantage of of this setup, right? Where it's not so much the spoken word, but about crystallizing your thinking and putting your strategy down on paper and making sure everybody has access to it and can work from it at any given point in time. I think those two changes that on the surface might seem simple, but are very, very profound in how we manage our team and how we manage the culture of the company are things that for sure we're not going back on.
0: So talk to me about metrics. You know, what are your North Star metrics? How have you decided which metrics are important and which are just noise? Uh, And maybe about how that might have changed a little bit with COVID, with some of this change, as you said, to how you manage your team.
1: Cool, cool. Now, metrics, uh, you know, I, I said earlier on, we have a, I think we have a very, or uh, not extremely, but very or data-oriented or data-informed culture. We've, we dedicate people and resources to to being able to, to execute on this. The way we, we pick our metrics, I think, is an interesting one. First is um, they need to fit, and they normally fit, into our overall product strategy. If you can't explain the narrative of the product strategy for the next three years, If if you explain it and not don't touch a specific, you don't need don't feel the need to touch a specific metric, then that's probably a vanity metric or a secondary metric. You don't need to to sort of care too much about it. The second acid test is whether or not customers talk about the same metric. If whether or not this is something that's important for customers. So if when you take this and when you take the vision and the mission of the company, we care about a couple of things. One of the things we care about is uh, what we call lead time to first value. How fast can a new customer get an application live? Because if we're all about productivity, then we have to measure that, right? How fast can they, from the moment a customer starts using our product to the moment they have their fully unique, customized application, the one that they've built for themselves, that's integrated with their system, that's done by them, up in production, being used by their business. And we are obsessed about making that fast and shortening that time. So that's a core metric for us. You know, we want to get down to zero. We want to get, like, you think about an application, it's live can do that. Okay, so can we do one day? You know, you start in the morning, in the end, you have something in production. Uh, how do you do that? What's stopping you? Is it an organizational constraint? Is it our technology? So we care about that technology a lot. In COVID, obviously, that metric became absolutely critical for our customers as well, because they were counting the days in which they had to have systems live and in production to be able to reap the, the business benefits. So that's, that's one side of it. But for us, because we, we pursue a platform strategy and we really want to become a core platform, a master platform for your company to use and to drive value. We also care about things like how many apps do you have developed in production? Again, not just that first one, how fast it was, how many, what, how big are they? Do you have we we like to go into scenarios where customers sort of become a very proficient or very prolific. A software factory. They create a lot of different applications. They go live. They and these applications then get used. So we track the number of applications that customers put live, and we also track the number of users that are using those applications. So that gives us a sense of our customers truly benefiting. It's a good proxy value for or proxy metric for customer value. You know, we we obviously details matter, but if the app is live and it's being used, we assume it has some value for customers. For a subset of customers, we actually do ROI studies, and we understand you know how much they're saving. But overall, we we do track the number of applications and the number of end users. And finally, because community is super important for us, developers in the broad sense of the word are super important for us. We track uh, the number of active developers that we have in our community. I think those are the top north stars that we follow for for our company. Everything else either contributes in, in a way to the vision narrative or we hear from customers or they're part of this ladder of metrics or they're just noise.
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit about the future. So you know, we talked about low code, no code a little bit earlier. Do you, you see that trend continuing? Is, is that going to accelerate? Is that a bigger trend?
1: Look, I, I think it's part of this major trend of truly becoming a digital world, And Satya from Microsoft said, two months, we've seen in two months, what was the equivalent of two years of digital transformation? We've seen similar things. You know, cataclysms can happen. I don't see that going anywhere. If that's not going anywhere, then what's the knock-on effect? The knock-on effect is that you're going to have to have more applications. The demands are not going to go down. IT departments are going to continue to be overloaded. So you need creative solutions, you need bigger strategies. And these pl- I think the low-code space specifically is positioned in a way where these things are battle tested. We have thousands of customers, you know, hundreds of thousands of applications that have built that withstand the test of time. And they're now becoming a, a true mainstream approach to solving this problem of lack of talent. You know, developers are not hardcore developers are not gonna go anywhere, but we need in the next couple of years, we need twelve more million. In the world where are we finding those 12 more million like you can't you don't have enough cs degrees graduates for those 12 million so e- even if you do you don't necessarily want them for, because from a diversity perspective you want people that understand the business that are business focused that have outcomes that understand that understand the impact on, on user experience so that trend is certainly not going to go away i think it's going to be reinforced a lot of companies are coming into this space saying, hey, hey, we're no code or we're low code as well, which is uh, can be tricky, but it's something that we've expected. But the trend as a whole clearly is accelerating. And uh, we don't like to necessarily guide ourselves with with analyst predictions, but if you look into the top you know, IT analysts, their prediction is two years from now, three years from now, 65% of most companies will have two or more of these platforms in their portfolios and they're gonna be using it extensively to build things that matter. And we, we see that happening too. So it's a great trend to be on for sure.
0: Awesome. So other trends, what other trends do you see, especially around product management? What, what do you see as product management trends coming up this year?
1: Ah, product management trends. So back to the beginning of a great conversation, I don't think of myself as a product management connoisseur just yet, you know, give me a, give me a couple more years. But I do see a couple of things. I think, you know, when I think about that, I think COVID brought in an interesting trend of accelerating or or shifting. You said, you know, your customer's changing. You know, if your customers are changing, that means you are becoming less intimate with who your customers are, what their pain points are. So as a product manager, how do you reacquaint yourselves with customers? How do you become more and more intimate with them? So this idea of product management continuing to be, the true voice of the customer within the company and becoming the true proxy and understanding it and understanding the market and having the right tools to do so and writing the right tools to understand what's happening. Like Pendo, right? What's actually happening out there? What's my experience right now for my current customers and how do I drive more value out of that is a trend that's not going to go anywhere. Right? I think we've we've long past the days where product management was an internal discipline that was disconnected from the customer. That's one. I think another trend that's happening in product management that I think is interesting is this idea around uh, product operations. So making it super professional, repeatable, scalable sort of discipline. So to uh, illustrate with an example, we started recently, nine months ago, we started a product operations team at OutSystems. They're doing a fantastic job in just standardizing what all product managers are doing, creating the necessary infrastructures and frameworks so that product managers can focus on being Experts on the customer, experts on the market, experts on everything. They don't focus on tooling. They don't focus on the templates that they need to use. They don't focus on any of that. We've sort of taken care of all of that. And now this year, we're, we're going to the next level. We're building a product management academy, and they're, they're doing it so that we onboard, train these people, and eventually open source all of these materials to give back to the community. But product operations, I think, is a trend. Which I've seen that in the customer success space a few years ago. It's always like a, a continuum, right? Whenever you're trying to make something more professional, you dedicate people to do so. I think that trend is going to accelerate as well. And better managing the tooling and deploying the tooling so that product managers can be super effective is certainly something, something that's uh, that's going to happen. And and the final thing I think uh, that I I see when I talk to fellow product managers is this uh, more of a conceptual trend of people moving more and more into truly executing on platform strategies. So going away from sort of, you know, pipeline products, you know, product, 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 selling to different customers, but really how do you become a true platform? It's very, very hard to pull off. It's a very tantalizing idea, but very, very hard to pull off, especially if you have a mature product. How do you to become a true platform, an economic value platform, an ecosystem platform? How do you do that? But I see more and more people talking about that. I think we're going to, it's going to be an explosive decade, if you will, around platform companies and how product managers play a role feels like a completely different sort of mental model in terms of, of product managing a platform company than anything else. So I, th- I see that as a trend as well, starting to form.
0: So this has been a lot of fun. Um, as we're kind of getting to the end, uh, I want to know a little bit more about you, Gonzalo. So what's, <laughs> your, what's your favorite product?
1: So my my favorite Product, that's a good one. I guess I can't say the OutSystems platform. <laughs> that would be cheating. I do love our product. I am super passionate, even after 15 years. But, uh, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not also going to... I don't think I'm going to be super innovative. But I, I think my favorite... If I think through impacting the world, great execution, great experience and feedback loops, but also this ability to execute on this uh, platform pipeline strategy... The greatest product I, I know is is clearly the iPhone. Millions of people use it every single day. It's been predicated on a fantastic business experience. It's tremendous focus on the multiple personas, the developers on the platform side, the users on the end, you know, businesses using it. It's truly a remarkable thing to think that 10 years ago or a little bit more than 10 years ago, there was no such thing. And that we we have now essentially shifted the fabric of mankind. Through the introduction of a product, much more than a product, sort of a philosophy, but really groundbreaking. And I, I would be remissive to not call it my true favorite product that I use every day and that I think uh, most significantly changed the world from an impact perspective.
0: So one, one final question. Three words to describe yourself.
1: So three words. I think I'm going to repeat myself from the beginning, but if I, I would use uh, eternally enthusiastic beginner. That's my thing is like an eternal machine of just being almost childishly excited about new things and, and discovering new things that might be known to others, but really a completely always on enthusiastic beginner. That, that's me. And I hope that a little bit of that came across during our chat because it's what people normally when people describe me, that's normally where they go.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, enthusiastic definitely came across. <laughs> there, there's no doubt there. Uh, you know, this is a blast. Thank you for your time. It's been great. Thank you so much. Great questions.
1: And thank you for the podcast. I had a chance to look at some of the episodes subscribing now. And it's, uh, it's fantastic. Thank you for doing this back to the community. You know, we need more people like you driving these things. So Absolutely. it's been fun. Thank you.